Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Uh, So this morning, the Lord speaks to us from Psalm 67. I'll be reading that after which Pastor Justin uh, will be preaching to us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you. God, may all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest, God. Our God blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. The word of the Lord. Yes, thanks be to God. So, in the, uh, the landscape of, oh, got a little bit, okay, we good? I think we're good. Um, there are basically, in the landscape of uh, relationships where there are different kinds of um, authority structures, uh, there are basically two main reasons why we often obey those in some kind of authority over us. Uh, we can either do it uh, because we have this sense of obligation uh, to them, we feel like we have to do it, uh, or there's another reason, which is to do so out of a genuine desire to do so, uh, a real love and affection for the one that's overseeing us. So when I think about that, it's uh, thinking about parents with their children. Um, parents, if you've ever told your children to empty the dishwasher or to fold the laundry or to clean the kitchen, I wonder, what's that reaction like, right? Do they do it uh, because they feel like they have to, they're being told to, it's out of a a sense of obligation? Or is there this joy-filled sense of active love and service to the family and so out of it, they're glad to do it? I wonder how often uh, the latter is true for, uh, for many of us. But let's be real, the reality is we can do the exact same task out of a sense of obligation or we can do it out of a sense of love and service. I will say that the former is not always bad. Sometimes you don't want to do something and you just have to do it. But that is very different than doing something out of a sense of real love and gratitude. Now often when we think about uh, God and how, we, how the Lord gives us uh, different kinds of commands, isn't it often the case that we find ourselves in one of those two scenarios as well? That we have, we have a sense of him asking something of us, and so as a result of that, uh, we find ourselves in either the position of doing that task, whatever it might be, out of a sense of begrudging submission, like we feel like we have to, or prayerfully, hopefully, it also is the case that at times we do so out of a sense of love and joy for being part of his family. What does that have to do with today? Well, today we're continuing our series called The Grand Narrative, where we've been looking at the overarching uh, themes of the Bible. Um, Over the course of the series, we've looked at uh, God and creation and fall. And last week, Pastor Abe uh, walked us through what redemption ought to be, what redemption looks like. And today, uh, we're going to consider the next chapter of the Bible's overarching story, uh, which is that God calls his people 
as a redeemed people, to be a people on mission, sent out into the world with particular tasks that he calls us to. Uh, and Psalm 67 provides us uh, a little glimpse into what that mission is. Uh, it's a mission that we see not only here, but all throughout the New Testament. Uh, but though God sends us on this mission, one of the things that I want to really process with, uh, together today is whether or not, as we're sent out with a particular mission and calling, Christian, I wonder, are we going out uh, into that mission with a sense of begrudging submission, I feel like I have to do this because God told me to, or out of joyful service. I hope that would be kind of in front of us as we walk through this today. So with all that said, let's consider uh, from this psalm a missional blessing, a missional calling, and a missional assurance to see what it is that God is calling us to and the posture with which he calls us to do it. So first thing here that we'll see is a missional blessing. Uh, for some of you, maybe those first two verses actually sound kind of familiar. Uh, those first two verses are reflective of actually two very key passages amongst God's people in Israel. They would have been very well-known passages. Uh, the first is from Numbers 6, uh, which was a priestly blessing given to Aaron to bless the people. All right, that blessing in number 6 said this, The Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his faith sh face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Maybe you've heard that before. It's, it's a reminder of God's grace toward his people and the peace that he gives. The peace that comes when we remember the delights of God upon his people. The other passage that we see in our psalm uh, is uh, calling to mind um, Genesis 12, where God calls Abraham. And in Genesis 12, God says this to Abraham. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Now look at how the psalmist in verses one and two, if we can throw that up, how the psalmist takes those two very key ideas and weaves them together in the, in the psalm. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your, uh, your salvation among all nations, right? The, the psalmist is calling to mind these two very key passages of the Old Testament for the people of Israel. So what we're seeing here is that the psalmist, before saying anything else, before presenting anything else that we are supposed to do or supposed to consider, reminding us of these two realities. First, that God's people have experienced his gracious, graciousness. And as a result, his face shines upon you. If you are part of the people of God, right? if you are a Christian here today, it's important to remember that God has been gracious. His face has shine, is shining upon us. For Christians, this is the, the orienting motivation for the entirety of the Christian life, or at least it should be the orienting uh, posture. We live not in some attempt to earn God's favor thus hoping that in the end we've done enough to achieve his shining face upon us. That would not be graciousness. That would be pure merit, working toward God's favor. Grace, by definition, is receiving something that you have not earned. And that's a key part of what the Christian faith is. You know, often we, we talk about the ideas of, of mercy and grace, and sometimes we use those words kind of uh, interchangeably. But it's helpful to know some of the distinction and consider why, though, that distinction is such a meaningful central theme to the Christian gospel. I mean, in essence, mercy 
is not being given what we deserve. Grace, though, is being given what we don't deserve. Those are two different things. Not being given what we do deserve and being given what we don't deserve. These two dynamics are the essence of the biblical gospel. And these two dynamics are what, when they're uh, together, provide the uniqueness of the Christian faith. I mean, we speak much about the, the death of Jesus, which is mercy. In that sense, Jesus takes what we deserve. But then, out of grace, we're also told that Jesus has lived a life of perfection on our behalf, and that that perfection is then given to us. It's grace. What we did not deserve, God has given to us. What that means is that the God of the Bible is not the God of every other religion or every other perspective on God. He is not one who has a scale and who is keeping track of our rights and our wrongs and uh, as the basis for his favor or for blessing. Rather, it's out of his grace for those who are his people, those who have received the good gifts of God in Jesus by faith. It's those people who have his face shining upon them. That, those who have his favor, not in light of what he, we have done, but purely because of what Jesus has done. And this is where we need to start before we talk about anything else that's about to come. Because then when God calls us or commands us to live in a certain way or to do certain things, we can either do so out of that sense of obligation, that begrudging submission, like we have to do it, or if we remember his grace, we can also do the exact same act out of a joy-filled response to the loving favor that he has extended to us by his grace. I mean, I do wonder, when we hear about obeying God, right, whatever that command might be, when we hear about obeying God, laying down our life before him, following him in all areas of our life, or even centering our lives on his will and purposes, I wonder, what is our response when we hear that? I mean, for some of us, maybe there's, there's active resistance, like, nah, I'm not doing that. That sounds like way too much. Or maybe there is a willingness, but maybe that willingness also comes with a little bit of resentment. Like, hear the Lord calling you to do something, or to be a certain way, or to live a certain way, or to think a certain way, and you're thinking, ugh, fine, whatever, I'll just do it, because he has authority over me. He's God, so I guess I have to. Or, is there ever an opportunity where that begrudging submission, that ugh, fine, whatever, might turn to a grateful, joyful, yes, Lord. I mean, do we see the difference between what it means to be deeply shaped by the grace of God and then called out to be a people of mission, doing so with, joyful, with a joyful attitude, or just dragging our feet because we feel like we have to? You know, every week at the very end of our service, we have something that we call the benediction. Um, that benediction, though might be just kind of a regular part of our rhythms for some, it's actually a very meaningful part of our service because what do we do the whole service? I mean, the whole service, we're talking about the glory of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. We're reminded of all that God has done for us. It's one of the, the central goals of our services. But then at the benediction, it's a reminder that the God who sends us, or the God who has been gracious to us is now the God who sends us out. It's, it's the key aspect of what this gathering ought to be. This gathering ought not to just be 
about remembering the grace and the mercy of God. But as we then go out, we go remembering that the God who sends us is the one who has done much for us. And this is all vitally important because it reminds us that with that blessing and with that favor of God, he's called us, according to our passage, according to Genesis 12, he's called us to be a blessing with the very blessing that we have been given. We are not blessed solely for ourselves, but we have been blessed to be a blessing, to be a people on mission. So with that in mind, right, with all the graciousness of God in mind, let's now consider the second thing, which is the missional calling that all of us have been given. Look uh, again at verses 1 and 2. So may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. And then here's interesting pivot. Why? So that your ways may be known on earth your salvation amongst all generations. Again, this is calling to mind God's call of Abraham. God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so that you might be a blessing, a blessing that would bless all nations, all peoples. So God's blessing, God's favor, does not terminate on the recipient of the blessing. In fact, if God's blessing simply terminated on Abraham. And if God's blessing simply terminates on us, it actually begins to become a useless blessing, both to the recipient and, of course, to the world. I'll give you an example of this. Do you remember uh, when God fed his people with manna from the sky? Essentially, what was happening is God's people, they were in need of food, and every morning God would provide manna for them to eat. But one of the commands that God gives to them was that they were not supposed to take this blessing of manna and uh, gather it up and hoard it. Because what would happen is if they gathered up that manna, trying to save it for multiple days, it would just rot. It would rot away. And one of the reasons why God does that is because he intended for them to daily have to trust them with this blessing, that he was going to provide them with this blessing. If they hoarded the manna, it would not only become useless uh, to the hoarder, but it would ultimately become detrimental to the hoarder if they simply took and took and took and took the blessing. Now, similarly, receiving blessings and then refusing to use those blessings for the purpose that they were given, for the good of others, it can very much lead to real issues. Not doing so, right? Constantly trying to receive and receive and receive blessings, hoard them up, store them up, it does tend to make us selfish, self-centered, and entitled. Why? Because hoarding blessings, whatever those might be, whether they be material blessings, talent blessings, intellectual blessings, or spiritual blessings, when we begin to hoard them, we begin to believe that we deserve them or that we have in some way, uh, we, we in some way deserve more and more and more and more. I mean, this has been, of course, the case with material blessings, but it's also the case of spiritual blessings as well. I mean, over the 20 plus years of ministry, I've seen this very much in myself. I've very much seen it in others. I mean, this is kind of the, the basis of what many call a consumeristic Christianity, a consumeristic approach to Christian life. Uh, it's this whole idea that I need more blessing. I want more blessing. And within the church context, something that, again, I have very much fell prey to, and I know that many others have also as well. I will stay connected to God's people. I will stay connected to church life to the extent that I feel like I'm gaining and uh, obtaining more and more blessing. Right? Just enough 
to keep me, I'll stay just uh, involved just enough to continue those blessings. But if you've ever been in this situation, as soon as it begins to cost us something, where we now need to be a blessing to others, that's when things can get very tricky within church life. That's when we can start to feel like, ah, oh, maybe this is a little bit too much for me. I'm just really here to be blessed, to receive, to intake. And as soon as we've got that outtake, for many, it can cause them to not want to stick around anymore. And one of the things that can be so tempting is to hoard up that manna. But after some time, that manna will begin to rot. And it actually begins to have the reverse effect on us when we're constantly intaking. It actually does become detrimental to us. That said, though I realize that there are seasons when many of us do need to sit, we do need to bless, I will say, if we never make the turn to recognizing the ways in which God's blessings to me have been given so that I can now go and be a blessing to others, it will begin to deteriorate and be detrimental to us. We need to, at some point, make that pivot. If you are a Christian, God has blessed you in a variety of different ways. God has given you much. He has not only been gracious to you, but he's also given you much. And it might be different for all of us, but he has given you those things so that you might be a blessing, not only here amongst God's people at Redeemer East Harlem or whatever church you find yourself in, but also to a world in need of such blessings. God is calling us, right, in this benediction that, we've, uh, that we have every week to take the grace and the mercy that we've experienced today out into the world. You know, in this way, if you're a Christian, you are a missionary proclaiming the mercy and the grace of God in all the places that God sends you. You are blessed with his favor, with his grace, with his mercy, so that you might go and make that grace and mercy and favor known. And when we are truly captivated by what God in Christ has done for us, there's no, there should be no bottling that mercy and that grace up. There should be a desire to want to share it with those that we may come in contact with. I mean, think about all the things that matter most to you. Right? We've all got things that we love. You know, there are things like your family or your career, but also think about things like you know, your favorite movies or your favorite band or your favorite book. I mean, isn't it true that when we are really captivated by something, when we really love something, we absolutely love talking about it when other, with others the t- when the time arises. Right? We love to have opportunities to share in those things with others so that they might also enjoy them as well. You know, just an example of this. Amongst uh, the many things that I love about my wife, one of the things that she does is she, she likes to keep track of different movies and shows that she really likes, that she thinks I will uh, also like. Uh, and then she will then re-watch that movie or that show with me because she loved it. And she thinks, I'm going to love it. And so she's excited to share it with me so that we can enjoy it together. I mean, this is the kind of thing that happens when we love something. We want others to be able to share in it. And every Sunday, when we gather, we are reminded of and encouraged in the gospel. The work of Jesus for us. Right? When we've been blessed in this way, is it not? should it not also be the case that if we've been truly captivated by it, Right? Truly love what God has done, that there ought to be this desire in us to share it with others so that others might also enjoy that same blessing, that same favor, that same grace, that same mercy. If we don't, 
if we don't have that love and that desire, it will eventually malform us to continue to receive, to constantly intake. Because one of the reasons God grants us such mercy, grace, favor, is so that we might now go and bless others with that same grace and mercy and favor, making it known to them. So with that said, how then do we share this blessing? Right? What exactly are the, the tangible realities of being a people on mission? What does it mean to share God's, the blessing of God's grace? Well, depending on um, your, your background with maybe church life uh, or your uh, Christian, Christian faith, wherever you might be, we all might be in different places. I don't know what everybody's background is. But some of us might not have great feelings about what it means to go out and share our faith. Uh, depending on what that's meant to you in the past, um, it can be kind of an intimidating thing. But I want to consider that the proclamation of God's grace is actually very multi-layered. And so whatever notions you have about being a person that goes out and shares uh, the grace and mercy of God, set it all aside for a second and just consider these kind of multi-layered ways that I think God calls us to make known his mercy and his grace and his favor. And it really comes down to God calling us to do two things, to proclaim such things in both word and deed. And one without the other is actually a really ineffective uh, proclamation, but when they're together, it actually is a powerful opportunity for us to share the grace and the mercy of God. What do I mean by all that? When proclaiming the gospel, right, which is essentially what we're talking about here, one of the things that we see Jesus do, something that Jesus models for us, is actually, I think, very instructive for us. Uh, if you've been with us, we've talked about this before, but one of the ways that Jesus proclaims the gospel, especially in the book of Mark, is that Jesus focuses on the coming of the kingdom of God. And again, we've talked about this, so I won't rehash it all right now, but in sum, proclaiming the kingdom of God means that we are in some ways reflecting the character of that kingdom in what we say and what we do. Proclaiming the kingdom at times means, at sometimes it will mean explicitly sharing about the grace and the mercy of God. Look again at verse 3. I find this uh, an interesting proposition. It says, may the people praise you, God. Maybe the peoples praise you. Here's what I find to be interesting about that statement is that sometimes Making known the grace of God requires us to explicitly state that which is praiseworthy, to speak about the goodness of God out loud. If we've never explicitly shared our faith or shared about the, the transformative power, the, the blessing and the favor of God, I do wonder the extent to which it's been truly meaningful to us. Because when something has really been meaningful to us, we desire to praise it, to actually say it out loud. So in some sense, there ought to be times in word, that we proclaim the goodness of God. But another way that we can reflect the character of God's kingdom is not only to proclaim about it, but also to live in such a way that others see the transformative power of God's grace in our lives. And if we don't have a life that reflects the transformative power of God's grace, I do wonder whether or not any of our words will ever mean much to anybody. I mean, the way we live as individuals and as a people Proclaim the transformative power of God's grace. I mean, individually, for each one of us, when our lives, our lives of, of holiness or purity or compassion or unity or justice and so much more, these in and of themselves are proclamations of the character of God's kingdom. Right? The way we live itself can be a proclamation of the gospel. If our lives, though, are no different than anyone else, if we act and live and think and behave in ways that are common to everyone, again, I do wonder 
the extent to which we've truly been captivated by this grace of God, this favor of God. Because when we've experienced it, it ought to impact every part of our lives. You know, this is true for us individually, but it's also true for us as a people, right? As a church community. Look at verse uh, 4. Verse 4 says, May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. There's something about the nations here that remind us that the Christian community together is actually a unique entity, right? One of the most unique entities on the planet. I mean, we've said this a hundred times, but the Christian church is the most diverse body of people that's ever existed. There's no religion, there's no philosophy or the like that can claim what the Christian faith claims, which is that people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue worship the Lord. And the result of this matters. Because the reason this matters is because Christian, the Christian church, we collectively should live in such a way that the holiness and purity and compassion and unity and, and justice of God ought to be seen among the nations, that those outside the Christian community ought to be able to look inside the Christian community and say, wow, there's something different within the Christian faith that creates that kind of community, one unlike the world has ever known. In this way, the ways that Christians live proclaim the goodness and favor and mercy and grace of God. And the point is this, Christian mission is making known the grace and mercy of God in both word and deed. For some, your life will proclaim the gospel before your words. For others, you might start with words and over time give people an opportunity to see it in your deeds, in your life. Either way, you and I are called in word and deed to proclaim this message, this grace, this favor. Christian, this is your missional calling. And it is a calling that comes in response to what God has done in you and now desires to do through you. So with all that said, let me put all this together. A couple questions. Are we so captivated by what God has done in his grace that we feel compelled to make that grace known? Question. Christian, is his calling for you to be a person on mission, as you hear that, that God desires for you to be a person to proclaim this good news in word and deed, as you hear it, does that mission, is that mission one of, uh, with a, as you approach it, one with a posture of, of, it's a joyful act of service, or do you hear it as this act of begrudging submission, like you have to do it? If the latter, I pray that we would experience his grace in a new way. I pray that we would remember what it means to have his face shining upon us. But as you are sent on mission, are we also ensuring that in all that we do, all that we say, we're proclaiming this great grace? Because if not, I pray that we be captivated anew by God's grace so that our words and our lives might be in alignment with the grace that God has given to us. I wonder to what extent are we so captivated that we're ready to go in word and deed to make known this grace of God. This, of course, though, uh, leads us lastly, not just to the reality that God calls us to be a people on mission, Christian, 
but that as we go, he does not send us alone. Which brings us finally to a missional assurance. I'll be brief on this, but I want to walk, I want us to walk away remembering something key. That yes, God calls us to be a people on mission. Calls us to proclaim his gospel message, the gospel of the kingdom, in word and deed, to make known to the nations his favor, his grace, his mercy. But here's the simple assurance that we must remember as we go. And it's simply that he goes with us. Again, uh, the opening verse of our passage reminds us of God calling Abraham. Uh, That call... Uh, required, if you remember, it, call, it required Abraham to uh, leave his home. Uh, and in that leading, leaving, God gave Abraham a promise that he was going to bless him, that he would also be a blessing. But just before God makes that promise, let me just read for you what God says to him in Genesis 1. It says that the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land. This is what I want us to hear. As you go... Go to the land that I will show you. In other words, God goes with him. Another example of this is in Acts 1. Jesus says to his disciples, uh, if you remember, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is Jesus calling them out on mission. Go out into the world and make known my gospel message. But just before that command, you remember what Jesus says. He says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. In other words, the Spirit of God goes with them. God does not send us on this mission alone, but by His Spirit shows us, leads us, goes with us, and empowers us. Now we've been saying that the, the story or the, the Bible is this unified story about God, about His creation and His work of redemption. And this is the, the theme that we've been looking at over the course of this series. But one of the things I want us to remember about this story is that the story of the Bible is not some detached story that we're, we're not really associated with, but the story of the Bible is actually our story. We're part of the story. Joining the mission of God and his work of redemption is part of our story. God has done much, and he desires to make what he has accomplished known to the nations, and the way he does it is through you and through me. He did it through the disciples and all that have come after them, all the way up until today. And as we make known this story, this grace, this mercy, this favor that God makes available to us in Jesus, there will be more who come, who will take it into the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation. This is the way God's story continues to move forward. He's chosen to use you, and he's chosen to use me. And so with all of that in mind, again I wonder the extent to which The story of God's grace for you has become so captivating that you desire to make that grace now known to others. And as we do, are we doing so in both our words and our deeds? And as we do, do we do it as a joyful act of service and not a begrudging submission, but purely out of response of what he has given to us? I pray that that would be the case for all of us to be so captivated by the grace of God, we would be with excitement going to make known that great grace to those that God calls us to serve. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God of mission. We thank you, Father, that you have sent your Son on mission to us 
to accomplish a great work that we could not accomplish. Not only has Jesus taken what we deserve on the cross, but he has also given to us what we have not earned and could not earn, which is his perfect righteousness, his perfect life. It's all of this that has made your faith shine upon us as we trust in Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that we'd be captivated, so captivated by that great grace and favor and mercy. And as a result, we would desire to now go and proclaim this grace, this favor, in our words and in our deeds. Not in a begrudging way, but in a joyful act of service, in response to what you've done. And I pray that your spirit will remind us that we do not go alone. But that your spirit resides in us, empowering us for this mission. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.org.